Okay, today's topic is the, the Zion realm. We are talking about teleos, and we said last week that the idea of teleos is teleos is to bring to completion. Teleos is to bring to completion. Teleos is lacking nothing. Teleos is to be made perfect. Teleos is to, can you see how powerful this arm is? It's going right up there. Amazing, praise God. Teleos, to bring to completion. To bring to completion. To make perfect. To lack nothing. That's the idea of the word teleos. And so we're doing this series for the next seven or eight weeks uh, where we're talking about how God wants to, uh, having drawn us out of the wilderness where he's where he spent time with him, and having empowered us through encounters and through time set aside. He wants now to bring us into a place of maturity so that uh, we can operate as a church that he wants us to be. So teleos is to bring to completion, to lack nothing, to perfect. And the moment you think of the word teleos, you have to think of Isaiah 46.10. Because the way God works is he always shows you the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is to come. So because God operates from the end, it is always good to see the end if you want to walk in the paths of God. And when we don't, we stumble, we stagger, we try to somehow find our way. But if you can see the end, you now have a point towards which you can keep walking. And the moment we start thinking along the lines of teleos, as in bringing to completion, this is the way to operate. Oh God, if you want to bring me to completion in a certain area, then even though I may be here, I need to see the end that you have for me. This is how Jesus operated because it says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, for the joy that was set before him. So he knows why he's here and having seen what is set before him, he starts walking towards it with a flint-like forehead. It doesn't matter whether it's a very important area or a not so important to other people area. If you can see the end that God has constructed for you in any situation, then you can take the church towards that place. You can take your life towards that place. You can take your faith towards a place because there's an end that God has. And if you don't see it, then you have to stagger and stumble around. You can still get there, but it's less intentional and more prone to error. When you have an end, you create expectations. Now that I know there is an end, I create expectations. I have expectations. Now that I know I have an end, things become habitual. Even though my circumstances are saying no, even though my circumstances are saying you don't have enough money, even though my circumstances are saying you don't have enough strength, even though my circumstances are saying you don't have the resources, the ability, the caliber to complete what lies ahead. I begin to habituate myself to the end, knowing that God is able, God is faithful, God is willing, God can do it. This is how Abraham is fully persuaded that God having said what he said can bring it to pass. 
For full persuasion, you need to see the end. You see that in Abraham's life again and again. He was fully persuaded that he would have a son. So he doesn't mind changing his name to Abraham and enduring for 25 years. He's fully persuaded that there is a city that is built without hands, whose designer and architect is God. And that is the city he's heading towards. So it's okay for him to camp in tents as he leaves where he is, not knowing where he's going. Hebrews 11 verse 8. He's fully persuaded that since he's been given a son, a son of promise, it doesn't matter that he may have to slay Isaac, that Isaac will be revived and given back to him. So this is what is meant by creating expectation, habitual, habit, uh, becoming habitual in your discipline to, as you walk towards the end. As in, it doesn't matter. Yes, circumstances are completely against me. But I'm going to habituate myself to think differently because I have seen the end that God has constructed for me. And thirdly, it is only when we work like this that we can endure. You cannot endure otherwise. You can endure if you know the end. And if it is a God end, you can endure because you know what awaits. This is what makes mums wait for nine months. You can endure. Because there is, there, is, there is something that awaits that God has shown you so you can press towards it. Endurance is impossible without a God end. So the point is that I must enter at the end right away at the beginning. I must enter the end at the beginning. It's not a riddle. It's not too convoluted, even though it sounds like that. You enter the end at the beginning of everything. And if you enter the end at the beginning of everything, that's brilliant. So I have to see ahead of time what God has for Jeremy. I have to see ahead of time what God has for Jeevan, for um, Aaron, for Diana. I have to see ahead of time what God has for Jill. And I actually, this is one of my favorite things to do during the week. What is it that awaits them? And therefore, once you have that picture, you can start building a person towards the end. Otherwise, what are we, what are we doing? We're doing nothing. We're just meeting for church. Raising up always involves an end. This is why in Ephesians 4 it says, and so there are equippers, and what is their job? To bring us into a place where we attain the full stature. There is an end. And so we go about that, and this is why it was important to talk about faith last time. We go about that by both perceiving and receiving things in faith. Perceive and receive in faith. As in, I have to receive the end that God is saying awaits in faith. And usually when God shows a godly end, it is way beyond um, what I could ask, think, or imagine. So to begin with it, it is hard to believe. Leave alone the circumstances that usually surround you when you are shown an end. When David was shown the end, that he would be the, the most amazing king that ever existed. So much so that Jesus would take on the, uh, uh, the name son of David. When Noah was shown the end that he would be the only man left alive with his family. 
when Moses was shown the end of how Israel would be delivered, when Joseph was shown the end, where he's already talking about his death, but he refuses to let his bones be buried in Egypt. When these people were shown their end, their circumstances were dire. But once you see the end, you have now the audacity to say to people, it may take 400 years, but you are to keep my bones in this particular tent. You're not to bury me here, because 400 years later, I want to be buried in the land that was promised to my forefathers. And like I've said before, every time the Israelites would go past that tent, they'd have scourge marks on their back, but they would have hope in their hearts because they knew these bones are still there, which means these bones will be buried in a land that is not where we are at right now. Sometimes when you see the end and you're able to now give it expression of form or shape, others are encouraged. Leaders who don't have an end they are working towards, and by a leader I mean anyone who has one person under them, are leaders that can never bring people into a land that has been promised because they do not see the land themselves. You cannot bring people into what you do not see. And so you should keep asking for greater clarity, greater wisdom, greater clarity. And God adds as you show yourself faithful. God does not necessarily give you a picture because you ask. God gives you a picture because you ask and you are faithful. Any questions? This thing is growing on me. I feel like a youth pastor. I feel like a youth pastor. Okay. Um, any questions? All right. So what I want to show you the end of, which is critical to uh, what awaits, is the end of the church. The end of the church. I'm not talking about end times. Unfortunately, the only end that really does well on TV is the end times. I wish it was not that that we aim at. That we see the teleos of what, what things look like. The teleos of the church. And by church, I mean the universal church of Christ, believing churches. And yet, I also mean the local church. So, I want to focus on the church, which we are parts of. And I, the reason I need to focus on the church is always remember, and this is why I was insisting that we sing as a church today. Because we take our identity from the whole. The whole does not derive its identity from the parts. It's the loaf that gives every fragment its identity. It is not the fragments that are put together that form the loaf. The Bible says that we are one loaf and that we've been put together, fragments put together. Our consistency, our, 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 our content comes from the loaf, Christ. And the moment you are baptized, you are baptized into the body. You may be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but you're baptized into the body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, so that you drink of one spirit, baptized into the body. And so if we could catch the teleos or the completion of what the church should look like in Vancouver, what Acts 29 should look like, what are the different parts that we can look at? Maybe we'll begin to function differently and God will be able to function differently through us. 
That's the intent. And so Hebrews 12.22 is perhaps where we'll park for a while. Uh, let me know when it's 3.50. Huh? Hebrews 12.22 is where we will park for a while. Um, and here's what it says. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. Now, where, what is Mount Zion? Mount Zion is a place where God resides. Mount Zion is a place where God resides. Mount Zion is a place where God resides. Now, I want us to begin to think like this, and we'll repeat it again and again so that we think like this. See, some of you work remotely. Praful works remotely. Derek works remotely. Jeevan works remotely. I've been working remotely. So, um, so um, we work remotely, but just because we work remotely does not mean that we are not part of the company that employed us. Just because we do not meet together does not cancel the fact that we belong to certain firms. Just because we do not go and sit at a table and do work at a certain place does not mean that we are not being paid what is due us from the company. Christians think that they come to Zion when they come together to meet like this. Zion is the place where God resides. Zion is the place where God resides. Two scriptures we'll be flip-flopping through is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 onwards, and Psalm 48. Both talk about Zion. We have already come to Zion, is how many versions put it. You and I have already come to the place where God resides. And I want us to be aware that after we leave the service, it does not change. All that is happening is you're working remotely. But you still belong to this place that God resides in. And the place that God resides in happens to be a people. That he has taken a permanent residence there, it is his favorite resting place. That he refuses to live anywhere else but amongst his people. He can span the heavens and the earth and he lives amongst his people. Some in heaven at present, others on earth. But he lives amongst the people. It is important for Vancouver that you begin to think like this. It is important for Vancouver and different nations in the world that you, who are listening online and who are part of Acts 29, begin to think like this. That you have already come to Zion, which is the place where God resides. Hebrews 11.10 says that this is a city with unshakable foundations whose architect or designer is God. He built it. Hebrews 11.10, that this is a city, this place called Zion, that you have already come to. The company that you belong to is a city that has been completely from conception to completion, being constructed by God himself with invisible instruments and hands. It has an unshakable foundation, meaning it can never be removed, it can never diminish, it can only increase. You have already come to this particular city and its designer and architect is God and it's unshakable. 
I'll just keep repeating myself over and over again because truth, unfortunately, in this situation will only be learned through, learned through repetition. We are coming to a city which is a city of seventh day rest, as in the rest that God created on the seventh day after he created everything else is the city that we live in. It is a city that oozes with rest. Rest to the body, rest to the soul, rest to the spirit, rest to the mind, rest to the family, rest to how you earn your livelihood, rest in terms of how you live out your life. This city oozes with rest. Next week, across the earth, they'll celebrate uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is supposed to be a feast of rest. Why? Because God resides in our midst, and therefore it can only be a place of rest because His Shekinah, or His glory, the glory of the Father and Son, are sufficient for everything pertaining to life. For everything pertaining to life, the splendor, the weight, the magnificence, the power, the glory, the honor, the worth of God is enough for me and for you. We've got to think like this. I keep going back to that phrase. As you think, so you will inhabit. What you think you will inhabit. This is a city that is presently accessible. As in, you don't have to wait to die and go to heaven to access the city. It's presently accessible and it will be manifested fully in the future. But remember, by faith you have already come. Oh, by the way, we didn't read Hebrews 12.22. Let's go there and read it so that you actually believe it. Hebrews 12.22. Hebrews 12.22. NIV says you have come, other versions say you have already come, and so on. Um, Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Just that one verse we are touching. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to, it is not something reserved for you in the future, it is now, you Jacob, you Jill, you Sue, you John, you uh, Aaron, you Sheldon, you have already come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. It is a city where there are thousands upon thousands of angels. The angel armies actually occupy the city. You have come to Jerusalem, that is not the traditional Jerusalem in the Middle East, for she is in bondage, Galatians 4.28. But this is Jerusalem who is our mother and she is heavenly. Now we'll talk about that. You've come to the city of the living God. This is your normal place of dwelling. You do not dwell on the earth. You are citizens of another kingdom that are living here on earth in tents. Your eyes like Abraham have to be set on, are set on, a city built by a designer and builder who is God. And that is where your eyes are set. And if we are able to achieve that, Acts 29, and those that are listening online, I say to you that your churches will become powerful bastions of God's desire here on earth in these times that await us.
It just so happens that this city is also the bride of Christ. Go to Revelations 21, 9 to 11. So on one hand, this city is supposed to be our residence. On the other hand, it is also the bride of Christ in the sense that there's something so resplendent and openly intimate when it comes to this city. The city is not made of brick and mortar. It is actually the bride of Christ, the wife of God, for the lack of a wife of the Lamb. Uh, Go to Revelations 21, verse 9 to 11. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The idea is there is a city that will be completed at the ends of the earth, but there is a city that already exists. It's a place God has chosen to dwell in and that place happens to be a people. Any questions? If it's confusing, ask. But you have to think like this. If you don't think like this, you will see why we cannot do what we are called to do. Any questions? Okay. At the center of all this is Christ. At the center of all this is Christ. This city is what it is, and you are who you are because of Christ. At the center of all this is Christ, and he is called the incomparable king, the mighty king. In Psalm 48, it says, um, um, let's go there, Psalm 48, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. It it belongs to an incomparably great king. No one more superior than him. The reason the Psalm 48 opens that way and talks like that is to just show you its loftiness, that it looms over every other city, that it is greater than every other city, and that it is far above every other city, that it is situated far superior to every other city and every other ruler because in this city dwells the incomparable king, Jesus. If you don't believe it, go to Psalm 2 and you'll see. In Psalm 2, God already announces his intent. Psalm 2. And it says in Psalm 2 verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I've already installed my king. There's nobody like him. And where is this city? Where is this hill? Where is this place we are talking about? Here, us. This is why I wanted to sing, and as we worship, build your throne. Jesus, we enthrone you. This is his residence, his place. We need to enthrone him. To enthrone is to acknowledge the king. That's all we're doing. We're not crowning him. He's already crowned. He was installed in Psalm 2. God raises him from the death, from death, 
sets him on a throne in deep heaven. God raises Christ from the death, from death, and and seats him on a throne in deep heaven. And what do we, what do we mean by deep heaven? Go to the the best way to think of deep heaven is go to the center of the universe. The universe is expanding. Find the center. In the center, God has put him on a throne in deep heaven. As in, you control everything, my son. Through you, for you, and by you were all things created. He's put him on a throne. And why did he put him on a throne? He put Jesus on a throne so that Jesus could be in charge of running the universe. So that Jesus could be in charge of running the universe. So that he could run the galaxies. So that he could run authorities. So that he could run governments. So that he could run nations. That's why he was installed as king. So that no name and no power would be exempt from his rule. And not just for now, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He's the final word on everything. So where am I pulling this out from? Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 22 from the message is exactly what I quoted. I'm not adding any words. I'm just quoting it straight from the message. Ephesians 1, 20 to 22. And then he says something marvelous, which really got me. He says that this Jesus who is enthroned, this Jesus who is enthroned speaks and acts and fills his body, the church. That he speaks through and acts through and fills his body, the church. That he speaks and acts through the church, which is his body. That he fills the church with his presence. There is nothing else, nothing else that has the presence of God as much as the church of God. It is not the universe. It is not Jerusalem. It is not a particular place. It is nothing like that. It definitely is not Toronto. At the end of the day, there is no place that God fills with his presence as much as the church. And again, the question then is, what are we talking about when we talk about the church? Us. There is no other place that God fills with his presence as much as us. And that God speaks through and acts through primarily his church. Again, who? Us. Ephesians 1 verse 23, 22 and 23 from the message. Then it goes on to say, because everything is under his feet, because everything is under his feet, and we already established that in verse 20 and 22, because everything is under his feet, and since he fills, speaks, acts, through the church and this is the clincher and this is why I've been spending so much time trying to get here and if you don't think like this we will not be able to agree with this next sentence because of this the church is not peripheral To the world, but the world 
is peripheral to the church. No right-minded Christian thinks like this. Everything screams otherwise, that the church is relegated to the side, that it's a non-player, that it is co-opted by culture, co-opted by politics, co that it is continuously being persecuted, that it is weak, that it's full of corrupt, contaminated hypocrites, that it doesn't amount to much, that it is middle of the road, that it is lukewarm, and yet there is one who sits at the center of the universe, on a throne in deep heaven, who keeps saying, but I speak through the church, I act through the church, I fill the church with my presence. Everything is subject to me, cause everything is under my feet. And since I speak, fill and act through the church, any local church or any body that begins to rise up to this truth will find out that the church is actually not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. And one day when a church begins to understand this, that church begins to have a certain clout in the regions appointed to it. But till then, we think we're climbing an uphill. We, we, we think we are fighting an uphill battle. I I'm not talking about one or two people doing this. I'm talking about an entire group of people, 40, 50 people, thinking the same way. Everyone's mind indoctrinated with the truth, brainwashed with the truth. Man, nothing like washing your brain with the truth. It's a good brainwash. Any questions? What does what actually mean? Yeah. This is how we see the world and the church. This is the world. This is the church. We are changing. God is saying it's not that way. This is the world. This is the church. Whoever thinks that this is the world and this is the church, we don't think like this. We think that the church, this is the world, and the church is a little side thing on the side. A few people get saved every now and then. There's a revival every now and then. And God is saying, no, it was never supposed to be like this. This is the one, if I am the center of the universe, and only Christ can make that claim, then my body is at the center of the universe too. If I speak, act, and fill this one thing called the church, then that becomes the primary uh, center around which everything else revolves. But will my people think like that? What do we make this out to be? Oh, we are in the world, but let's become prosperous. Let's become healed. Let us become mighty. Let us have a lot of money. And that becomes a little uh, enclave in the world. That's not what we're talking about. This doesn't lessen persecution. This doesn't lessen, lessen um, the attacks of the devil. This doesn't lessen circumstances going um, uh, bad. It just means that there is a people that think differently. And no longer do circumstances, the devil or persecution stop the church from advancing. Finally, the kingdom is beginning to do what the kingdom is supposed to do. But it requires a group of people to think like this. Guys, it is so hard to think like this. 
so hard to think like this. But it takes a group of people to think like this. 40, 50 people thinking like this together. It changes the way they worship. It changes the way they think. changes the way they, they imagine. According to Psalm 48, this church is a fortress-like uh, dwelling that is impenetrable. Psalm 48 verse 3 to 5 actually talks about it. Psalm 48 verse 3 to 5. Psalm 48, 3 to 5. It says, This is his divine abode, an impenetrable citadel, for he is known to dwell in the highest places. See how the mighty kings united to come against Zion. Yet when they saw God manifest in front of their eyes, they were stunned. Trembling, they all fled away, gripped with fear. Seized with panic, they doubled up like in frightful anguish, like a woman in the labor of childbirth. This is an impenetrable fortress. It is not how we think of the church. Do you realize why it is critical that you be vitally connected to the church? That you cannot be a member, that you cannot be an event visitor, that you cannot be a turn-upper at a, at a meeting. It does not make you part of this impenetrable fortress, this dwelling place where the incomparable king resides. Become such an integral, vital part of it. Connect intrinsically. Because it gives you such tremendous benefit. There is no other organization in the world that gives you these kind of benefits. And the strange thing is, once you become part of a church, you exist for the benefit of others. It's an impenetrable fortress. It is the place where the angel armies and the commander of the armies of Israel dwells. We are talking about something called government. Why are we talking about government? Because I think it is time for Acts 29 to begin to explore the realms of how a church exercises governance over areas allotted to it. It cannot be done through a pastor. It cannot be done through a few leaders. That has been the problem with every revival. Every good thing that has happened on the earth has always fallen short because it's always because of a few revivalists or a few reformists reformers, or a few leaders who ran ahead of the pack, but the pack did not run. God is not interested in a few revivalists or a few reformers bringing change anymore. He's saying, where can I get a group of people who begin to think alike? Amazon has a very simple approach to um, Leadership. It wants to raise up leaders that can raise up other leaders so that there's never a lack of a talent pool. In fact, the talent pool at Amazon is supposed to keep increasing because the leaders cultivate greater leaders. Where do you think he got the idea from? From the whole idea of yeast. Every, suc every successive... <laughs> uh, bit of yeast is supposed to be more potent than the yeast that went before. The church is a fortress dwelling. It is where God sits as judge, as sovereign. It is a city where the angel armies dwell. We, we don't know anything about these things, but my God, we will know something about it. This is what government looks like. What, is gov what do I mean by government? As in 
Government is when a church begins to deliberate decisions for cities and for peoples. A church begins to craft with God judgments. A church begins to issue decrees that go forth. Isaiah 2 verse 3. Look at it. Isaiah 2 verse 3. Let's just go to a regular version. Um, NIV. Isaiah 2 verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah 33, 20 to 22. Isaiah 33, 20 to 22. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved, impenetrable. Eh? That's what I was talking about. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. Unshakable foundation. Then there the Lord will be a mighty one. It'll be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride there. No mighty ship will sail them. Impenetrable fortress. Verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is, the Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. The idea is that a church begins to understand who she really is. And as she does, a strange thing begins to happen. She begins to govern. She begins to govern. She begins to deliberate decisions for cities and nations that are given to her. She begins to craft judgments with God, fair judgments with God. She begins to have decrees sent out, spoken from her, that begins to affect areas around her. We look at Joseph in the future as a governmental type, but I just want to start us down this road. This is what it means to be governmental. And the question then is, why have we not seen this yet? Why have we not seen this yet? May I suggest to you that we did see it in Acts, in the book of Acts. We did see it in the book of Acts. We did see it in the book of Acts. It was not one Paul that upset Ephesus. Sure, Paul had a hand to play in it. But these churches began to, I mean, when you see the letters written by Jesus to the churches of the book of Revelation, you see them taking a stance in the midst of a culture and beginning to sometimes change the culture, sometimes get co-opted by the culture. But at the end of the day, in the book of Acts, you see how the church was governmental, how when they would go to Malta, things would happen, how when they went to Derby, things would happen, how they would go to Sergius Paulus and he would be chained, how Simon the Magi, who was known as a great one, had his greatness removed, how a eunuch from Ethiopia gets touched so that an entire African nation is touched and things begin to happen in that African nation, how Thomas went to India, how another apostle went somewhere else. It was this governmental authority residing on fishermen, on fishermen. We see it with revivalists in Wales, in um, different islands of UK, sometimes at Azusa. But one of the things that happened with all these revivals, like I was saying earlier, was that it was built around revivalists and not around a revived church. We need faith for this. Can you go to Hebrews 11, 33 to 38? Now you see why faith was given to us. 
Faith was given to us so that the church may function a certain way. Hebrews 11, 33 to 38. Let's start at 32. Man, I look at this and I think to myself, Acts 29, your time has come. Starting at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel <coughs> and the prophets who through faith... Hey, can you just open this, Aaron? Who through, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. This is the kind of faith that God is inviting us to rise to if you want to be governmental. If you want jobs, thanks, money and healing, then this is not for you. If you want more, then governmental walking of the church is this way. And when we do that, the other thing comes anyways. Psalm 48, verse 12 to 14. This is what we'll be trying to do over the next many weeks. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He'll be our guide even to the end. Let me read it from some other version. Message, circle Zion, take her measure, count her fortress peaks. Gaze long at her sloping bulwark, climbing her citadel heights. Then you can tell the next generation, detail by detail, the story of God's passion. Circle Zion, count her towers, consider her walls, climb her palaces, and then go tell the coming generation of the care and the compassion of our God. Yes, this is our God, our great God forever. He will lead us onward until the end, through all time, beyond death and into eternity. This is what I hope to do so that in the end we will begin to think like this. That we will, you know, if you don't expect, you will forget. If you don't expect, you will forget. If I don't expect something from God, I will forget that God can even do it. When we don't expect, we forget that God can do it. We, If we don't expect the church to walk like this, we will forget that the church actually is supposed to walk like this in Christ. That she is able to do this. We'll fall back into human ways of thinking because we don't have such an expectation. I refuse to go down that road. I refuse to go down that road. For this time and for a purpose such as this was I born. 
to bring the church into a place where it begins to govern and function as it is supposed to in Christ, who resides amongst the people, who is an incomparable king. So let me end by starting at the beginning. Uh, don't worry, it doesn't mean I'm going to start all over again. Uh, I could see just sheer fear on people's faces. Oh my God, he's going to start again. Yeah? Pardon? Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Derek, how come you didn't tell me, man? Just one simple thing. All you had to do was tell me. This one's on you. So let me start at the end. And sorry, let me start at the beginning. <laughs> I want to read out a word that I heard, uh, not yet. <laughs> let me read out a word that I heard before Acts 29 was official. Acts 29 already was meeting, so in a sense, it did exist, but it wasn't official yet. This was in October 2005, and it was a word released to two churches. One of them, Acts 29, I've never read this word out, and uh, felt now is the time to release this word that was given 15 years ago. And uh, it was given to another church too, and they, for different reasons, have uh, not walked in it. And they're a very strong church, but they have not walked in it. And um, I believe it's time to speak this out right now. But before I do that, I also want to preface it by words that Pastor Mike spoke when Acts 29 turned 10. And um, I just want to preface it with that, and then I'll read the word. So don't put it up yet, Don. So here's what Pastor Mike said uh, at the when we were turning 10. I believe that you are able... I believe that you are about to enter into one of the most, if not the most awesome time in the history of this local assembly, Acts 29. The first five years of the next 10, this was in 2015 or 16, the first five years of the next 10 will be very significant for you as the Lord completes his fashioning of you into the place of mature sonship. So for those um, house church leaders who are doing a study on mature sonship, on maturity, keep going at it. Eh? Um, the next thing he says is the time of conception and formation is now. The manifestation of that which is within, that which is invisible, will take place after 2020. To navigate this decade, you need to strain and press into hearing a now word and moment by moment whispers of the voice of God from his throne. And so here is the word that was given in 2005. There are fatherless multitudes, orphans in the spirit, waiting to find spiritual fathers. In this house, there will be a reconciliation of wandering Christians who will come back to the father's house. There are fatherless churches that you will become the spiritual father over, not just in Vancouver, but right around the world. And God will father through you a supernatural work to reproduce. You will wait on God for the supernatural food of heaven because there are going to be such men and women around you hungry for the word of God to flow from you. You are about to step into a new realm of the mercy and the grace of God because mercy 
is on the left and grace is on the right of you. And wherever you turn, you will find every need met and the grace of, by the grace of God. This city will begin to realize that Papa God is moving in his power, restoring back what you didn't even know was missing. I will revive, I will provide, I will break through even right now. You will see manifestations of faith that only I, God, can take credit for. You will, this, this frightens me. You will be part of something that the world has never seen before. The greatest restoration man has ever since seen, sin, seen since Noah, affecting every continent at the same time. You won't contain it. You won't resist it. If you stand on the banks and put the tip of your toe in it, it will still reach out over the banks and drag you in. I have assigned angels, flames of fire, who will be ministering spirits to and through you. God is about to do something in this house. He's about to release the gifts of the spirit and things inside you that you have never even accepted. Gifts and ministries and anointings are about to spring forth in this church and in these people represented and listening online. Young men and young women, bishops, stronger apostolic ministries, strong teachers will be going out from your company and they will reproduce this anointing. So take time to pull aside and develop the strong anointing stored for a time such as this. What God is starting today is extravagant and beyond your ability to cope with. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the church. I need to release this to you and um, say to you that this is uh, what I'm looking forward to and I'll do everything in my power to shape on God's anvil so that we become um, the plows, the prune hooks, the uh, pruning hooks, the spears, the javelins, the swords that we need to be. This is what awaits us. And so we'll be going down this road for a while now. What does it mean to be a governmental church? As in, how can a people together think a certain way so that Christ who speaks fills with his presence and acts through the church? We'll find Acts 29 and other churches connected with it. Uh, a, a, a dwelling place that he can then begin to govern from. That he can begin to govern from. God is a good governor. When he governs, he's benevolent. When he governs, he's sovereign. When he governs, he's a good judge. When he governs, mighty kings that unite against him tremble. When he governs, people get saved. When he governs, hell is depopulated. When he governs, people get healed. When he governs, he's both the king of Shalom and the king of Jerusalem. When he governs, there is righteousness. When he governs, People within are taken care of. When he governs, there is a Goshen and there is Egypt. When he governs, the sea splits open. When he governs, kingdom advances. But he does it through a people, through him who, whom he speaks, through whom he acts, in whom he dwells, and he loves filling with his presence. As you leave here, leave as remote workers, knowing that you still belong to the same company, that you are on their timesheet, that your hours are being recorded, that you're never separating. This is who we are. Think like this. And over a period of seven or eight weeks, perhaps we'll understand what it is to govern. And see, we are living in a time where it is not enough to show. It's not enough to tell. We have to show and tell. In times of crisis, people don't listen to words. People want to see. So what would it look like? And so Wally is back on. Here's a rhema word that uh, is for us. God 
Ramah. The word God gave was Rehoboth. Rehoboth simply means, for now the Lord has enlarged our ter territory and made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Remember this, guys. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory. I'm waiting for someone to follow me. And for now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth, for now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. I really can't hear you. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory, made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful. I can't see you standing. And for now the Lord has enlarged our territory, I still can't see you standing. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Three more times. And now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. For now the Lord has enlarged our territory and made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Wally is only one of the things we are resuming. Resume your ideas for businesses. Resume your ideas for land. Resume your ideas for wealth. Resume your ideas for um, salvation. Reduce, resume your ideas for going out. Resume your ideas for ministry. Resume your ideas for the spread of house churches. When they are saying isolation, quarantine, God begins to do something else, still keeping the rules. So, if you want to go to Wally and pray... Start doing it. We're back in business.